0: Hi, I'm Lauren Stiving, and welcome to this episode of the Career Success Podcast. Today we'll be joined by Lise Ellison Davis. A question I'm often asked from both candidates and clients is how to manage underperformers. Lise has led exceptional teams in Procter & Gamble, PepsiCo, and Friesland Campina, so I thought she would be the perfect person to dive into this with and share some of her insights on the challenges and opportunities of both under and over performers. Welcome Lise. Thanks Lauren. It's it's my pleasure to be here. So yes, when managing a team, it can be quite challenging at times. You know, there are various different members within that team. Some of them can be underperformers, average performers and overperformers. I was wondering if you can just give us a bit of background on what leadership challenges that you faced in your career.
1: <laughs> well, I you know, complex question. I think after 25 years in business, I think you can expect that I've had all kinds of challenges um, and also at all kinds of levels. But overall, I have to say that I've been lucky enough to have a vast maturity of fantastic performers in the teams that I've led. So I would say that my team history skews heavily towards the overperformance side. And while that also brings along its own particular challenges, I think it's a very fortunate position to have been in for so long. But yes, you know, I've also had many difficult situations. I mean, I can give you a couple of examples. I remember I I once had a group of very talented overperformers reporting into an underperforming team leader. And because of the hard work of his team, the team leader was able to meet his business KPIs consistently, stay under the radar for quite some time, so to speak. But all that time, his team was getting increasingly frustrated as they felt they weren't being managed well, they were not progressing in their development. Now, that particular case was very challenging simply because it cost me a considerable amount of time simply to find out what was, what was going on and what appropriate action I needed to take because it was quite a complex situation. Another one is that I think a very common one and, and one I've encountered quite a lot over the years is that I had quite a few people who were fantastic at leading themselves at personal leadership and showed extreme overperformance at more junior levels, but they struggled to motivate and lead others and therefore didn't perform as well in leadership positions. And there I found the most complicating factor is that these people often had top performing scores for years and suddenly their new manager, their new leader is telling them that, you know, she's not happy with them or that, you know, they're not performing up to scratch. And some have been able to overcome that and some have not. You know, some have really struggled there. So I always find that a tricky one.
0: Yeah, and how have you managed that situation? I mean, what kinds of tips or what would you say to that type of situation? How do you manage that? I think, you know,
1: I think then it comes, that, that comes back to an underperformance situation, right? And, you know, I think in general, under you know, managing underperformance on, on the whole kind of has mm-hmm. a bad reputation because it's usually perceived as, a, as an undesirable situation to be in. Uh, and, and I think it's absolutely true that it can, it can cost time and it costs attention that you'd really prefer to spend elsewhere, but it can also be, at least to me, it has been one of the more rewarding parts of a leader's job. Not only do you get the opportunity to help people be more effective as managers and leaders, but sometimes it also includes helping them remove internal performance barriers that they've been struggling with for years. And for example, in the case of you know, someone who's been performing really well at an individual level but struggles to manage people, you know, there is an underlying issue there that, that needs to be tackled. And tackling that issue is going to help these people for the rest of their lives and potentially also make them more rounded individuals. So for me, you know, to answer your question, for me, it's, it's, it's a rewarding experience in terms of how to manage it, which was your initial question. I guess, again, every case merits its own approach. For me, the most important principle is that you, you create an atmosphere of trust with the individual. You enable an ongoing of frank and especially a two-way dialogue and not a one-way monologue which mm-hmm. I, I often encounter and you make it crystal clear that your ingoing position is a positive one this is not a criticism this is a process that's going to help you perform as an individual to your benefit but also to the benefit of the company and I think that's the ingoing position that that you have every time.
0: Sometimes in certain situations, you wouldn't be able to help the underperformer and it may you may have to let that person go. What would you say are the three criteria to look for in those situations? How do you know that it's the right time to let someone go?
1: You know, um, this, is a t- this is a very important topic for me because it's an extremely serious step to take and a step that no one should consider very lightly. And you know, why it's an important topic for me at the moment is that if I currently look how, you know, people, letting people go is represented in the media you know, nowadays where you know, firing people, and I use the word firing because that is the word that is currently being used so much, where firing people, if they don't agree with you, seems to be a daily practice and can even be positioned as a demonstration of a leader's power, I'm absolutely horrified and, and I'm afraid that there are going to be managers out there that will start to think that that behaviour is normal excusable and even justified and will strive to emulate their behavior and it's not you know so let me first point out to say that that kind of behavior is a sign of weakness and not a sign of power letting someone go in the end is, is a very serious step to take and i think one of the things that people don't consider is that you know most people consider it's a serious step for the individual concerned what a lot of people don't think about is that it's also not a beneficial situation for the company itself you know the cost of replacement financially and an induction of a new hire basically make it a loss making activity, especially for the first year, but also letting people go can have a real impact on the team and the company morale, so again, it should really be considered lightning now, having said all of that, yes, there are going to be cases when it's in the better interest of the company to let someone go and You know, looking at this, you know, different reasons to let people go. Obviously, you know, retrenchment is one, but for the moment we're not talking about that. Obviously, when the individual has violated values and principles that the company stands for, I think that's one that immediately qualifies. But in the area of underperformance, I would say that you need to get into a process where you carefully evaluate what the real performance of the person is. And, And first of all, understanding the performance history of the individual beyond the current moment you know, how has the individual performed at different levels and different function areas and um, for different bosses is extremely important because any kind of underperformance could simply be temporary. So the first thing I always do if I spot a case of potential underperformance that I haven't, you know, in an individual I haven't worked with before is reach out to their former manager or managers to get a better understanding of them. The second one is making a real effort to find the root cause of the underperformance in this particular role. You know, if there's no history of underperformance, then what is it in this particular role that is a barrier to these people? Is it a lack of functional capability? If so, that can potentially be tackled with time and and development. Is it the new boss? I mean, is it me? Am I somehow not being as effective as I could be in getting the best out of this individual? And while that doesn't mean to say that I would ever lower my performance standards, perhaps I have to change my leadership style with them. Or is it something more fundamental? And I think you, you just need to go through that process with the severity that, you know, the, the situation takes. Don't take too long. I think one of the things that you do want to do is you want to set the timeframe you're giving yourself and stick to that time frame. So as a rule of thumb, I think you would want to resolve underperformance as quickly as possible. And for a host of different reasons, you don't want to let it simmer. And, and personally, I'd like to see a clear progress within you know, three months of having an initial conversation and then a final resolution within around six months. If you take shorter, you may not have given the individual the time to develop. If you take longer, it will start to impact the business and the rest of the team. So you really need to set a clear time frame. But, you know, within that process, coming back to the initial question, after you've gone through that process, what is the moment that you say, well, this is the moment that I take the decision? For me, it's the moment that has become clear that the individual either doesn't have the ability, the work ethic, or the motivation to perform up to the reasonable performance standards that the job level requires. And assuming a lower job level is either not possible or not desirable. And I specifically say job level and not job. As sometimes there is simply a bad fit with the position, but not necessarily with other positions at the same level, and these have to be found. I think the thing I, wanted, I want to stress that is really the outcome of quite, at least for me, a serious and in-depth process of investigation and working together with that individual to find out whether it really is a structural issue, whether it really is a structural issue of ability or work ethic or motivation or if it's something that can be solved.
0: As okay. you see, I
1: take it quite seriously.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Well, well, thank you for your input. I, I think it was very interesting. And if we switch, just to pick your brain a bit of overperformers, I know you mentioned in the beginning that you've had a lot of overperformers in your team as well. How? Do you manage overperformers, and specifically what do you need to do so that they continuously feel challenged or what does the business need to do?
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, again, I've been lucky enough. I've been lucky enough to have quite a few of them. And for me, overall, it's an absolute pleasure because it can be a journey of, you know, constant pleasant surprises because people come up with not only pr- fantastic performances but also solutions that you yourself never imagined. So for me, it's an absolute pleasure to work with with many overperformers. Having said that, I think the most important thing for me is setting the boundaries. And that might sound counterintuitive, but in order to let overperformers fly, it's important to give them as much room as possible. But that does mean that you will need to be clear about the direction that you want them to fly in. Be clear in setting your vision for the business, for the team. Be clear in the deliverables that you're expecting. And be clear about the strategic boundaries you want these performers to operate in. And within those boundaries, empower them and let them fly and give them the full responsibility to create the strategies, the capabilities, to let them be responsible for their own team and find their own way of working. Set them free within those boundaries and you'll be amazed what they can come back with. Now, the key question you, you hear very often after that is, yeah, we get part about the empowering, that's, you know, but after that, how do you manage them on a day-to-day basis? And then my personal advice would be as little as possible. In in my experience, overperformers do not respond very well to being overly managed. But instead of managing them, you know, try to enable them. And enabling means giving regular feedback and coaching and and giving them intellectual challenge to the solutions that they bring to you. Uh, Enabling means removing any corporate barriers in their way that they're not able to tackle themselves because potentially, you know, they're juniority. Introducing them to the right people or the right work groups, enabling them also means letting them take the limelight for their successes, but also ensure that, you know, they feel safe enough to occasionally fall, which is a a natural consequence of flying high sometimes. And I guess finally, and and, and also very importantly, make sure that they see that their overperformance is being acknowledged and make sure it's reflected in their performance reviews. Walk the talk. You're telling someone that they're an excellent performer. You have to show that there are consequences to that performance, you know, within their career progression, within their performance reviews and within the internal opportunities that they that open up for them. They're working hard for you. So I think it's your responsibility as a leader to work hard for them and to make sure that they progress in line with the performance that they're showing.
0: Well, Lise, thank you so much for, for your opinions and your insights. I think this will be very helpful for both new and experienced leaders. Brilliant, it's been my pleasure.